The Story of Zamrock. In this four-episode series, you'll be introduced to the music of 1970s Zambia, the soundtrack of an African nation transitioning out of its colonial period and in search of a modern African identity. This is a period in Zambia's music history marked by an interest in emulating popular global sounds like rock, funk and soul, a reaching out from this landlocked nation to participate in these youthful, energetic international pop culture movements. However, as the 1970s unfold, imitation gives way to innovation as Zambia's musicians begin weaving local Afrocentric ideas, motifs, rhythms and languages into these Western styles. The result is Zamrock, quite simply a Zambian type of rock, and a state edict from Zambia's first president, Kenneth Kaunda, calling for locally produced music to be strictly prioritized by national broadcasters, kick-started a recording industry that documented the Zamrock scene on vinyl. While rock pops up in other African countries at this time, the unfiltered intensity, passion and scope of Zamrock sets it apart. The story of Zamrock is a carefully curated cross-section of the scene by way of eight distinct standout albums recorded during the period 1972 through 1978. Our podcast series provides access to the voices of the original artists and creators of these works, immersing you in regional English accents and expressions and exposing you to creative insights, amusing anecdotes and intimate memories as you listen to the story of Zamrock as told by the people who created it. Amanazi released their soul album Africa in 1975. In this episode, vocalist Keith Kabwe and lead guitarist Isaac Mpofu provide the backstory with some surprising insights into the genesis of one of Zamrock's most sought-after and critically acclaimed releases. We also hear from the producer of the album, Billy David Nyati of the Zambia Music Parlor label, and the bassist of the band Salty Dog, Norman Muntemba, describes Zambia's early recording studios. Also featured are rare tracks from Amanazi offshoot bands Heathen and Drive Unit. Episode 1. Ask me about nice artists in Zambia. Yes, I got ideas from big stars like David Bowie, uh, Alice Cooper, and then 
I came up with a black costume which was uh, painted on with bones, white bones, and it looked like, I looked like a skeleton when I put it on. And then there was a coffin in which I was waiting for my friends as they were playing uh, a number, like bam, 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 And then I jumped out of the coffin and began to dance with the crowd. And this is how the Amanaz game began. I went to school at Munali. It was one of the, the high, most of the one of the highest schools then, the high school where most uh, Africans could go. But uh, I found a teacher there, a Mr. Stone, and uh, he taught me a little bit of piano and made me the school choir leader. So he took me to a Lusaka Music Society where there was a group of musicians, old men and new, so they encouraged me to play a cello. So I moved from piano into playing a cello. As I began to play a cello, I, the interest on guitar began to develop. So I began to play guitar while I was at school at Munali. And I even made one electric guitar from the workshop. <laughs> so I loved the guitar from childhood, actually. In the early 60s, uh, we were listening to a variety of music, uh, including Kwela music from South Africa by Lem, Lem, Lem Special and Spokes Mashan. They, um, they were great musicians at that, at that time. Also Mira Makeba, Doroth Masuka, and uh, abroad we had Virginia Lee and many others. Elvis Presley, Cliff Richard, Pat Boone, The Beatles, uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, and the blues guys who were playing, you know, like B.B. King and all that. They influenced my touch on the guitar. When we began to, to uh, fight for independence, during the struggle of independence, we formed a small band which we used to call Dark Seat Knights after you know the kind of life we were going through we were really not in the light we were in the, in the dark uh, forced on us you see so that's why we gave ourselves that name dark seat nights and we were performing on the anthills before the politicians give their speeches so this is the time when we began we were also fundraising for UNIP, because that was the only party at the, which was powerful at that, at that particular time. We would go to, there was a township, Kasompe, Chilabombwe, which is Bancroft. Now it's called Chilabombwe. We would go there and perform in a, in a council hall and come back with some money and bring it to the treasurer and so on and so forth. And that's when we began to have more and more interest in uh, making 
small banjos using the um, skins of animals and uh, a piece of wood and some strings there. And then uh, we get a big box, put a piece of wood also on the one line of string. That was the bass guitar. Yeah, that's when we. That's how we started to uh, play music. We felt that we were simply copying the music of others, and we were not developing anything of our own. So we decided let's fuse in a bit of our local music. And this is when uh, composing and writing songs began to start look for sounds to blend them, bring kalindula, bring uh, rock from the west, try to fuse them and see what sound you can come up with. This is how we began to call it Zam, Zam Rock, because there was some kalindula fusing it into the western music, bring them together. This is uh, why we call it Zamrock. And uh, when we began to record, uh, especially the bands that uh, had sponsors earlier on, no, people were flocking to buy. They were also excited to hear their own musicians. They've begun to record and they were listening to their music. It was, uh, it was crazy and people liked it. Friends Jerry Mausala, he was playing in a band called Macbeth. There were three members only. Uh, the guitarist was singing, the drummer was backing, and the bassist also was backing. Keith Mlev was on the guitar, uh, uh, and uh, we used to call him Charlie Watts. He was on the drums and Jerry uh, Mausala was on the, on the bass guitar. Um, the drummer got sick. By then I was in Indola, I was working for Caltex. Uh, the, when the, their drummer got sick, he went home. Then he, Keith left the guitarist, he left the band also. He told Jerry and said, Jerry, I am quitting the band. What is not coming? Because they were left too. The, the one person left for home. And when Keith took his guitar, his amplifier, whatever belonged to him, with the microphones, whatever belongs to him, he took, and Jerry, the rest, he took them. That's when he phoned me. Said, I want you to come so that you help me get these instruments. We bring them to Ndola. We form a band. And uh, by the time I was trying to get organized, the guy arrived with the equipment. The manager there, Mr. Mubanga, assisted him with some money. 
he sympathized with him. Yeah, so from that time, while I was working, we began to think of who is going to play with us. And uh, we thought of uh, Isaac Mpof, <coughs> and uh, we thought of him. Uh, it was my, during that era, my third band. I'd been into other bands before. The mighty, incredible, grooving souls, which was in short, the mix, straight from school. When I began to work, we started that band. I also played in another band called Heaven. And uh, you can imagine by the name. It must have been really weird. <laughs> You remember those days when, uh, when uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix was on the scene? He copied some antics from Jimi Hendrix. He could play with, it was new. He, he could also play the same, the same, the same style. And uh, the way he was vibrating the guitar, it was marvelous. Isaac Mpof, they used to call him the lead guitarist wizard. He was terrible because when he handles the guitar, especially the lead, and you start playing with the sound effects there on the floor, him, Paul Ngozi, the two, number three, Ricky Longa, but the action between uh, Isaac and uh, Paul Ngozi almost at par. Ricky Longa also followed. We went to Kitwe, we met Isaac, we spoke to him, he was excited. Uh, then and then he joined us and then we thought of also John Kanyepa while he was still playing with Black Souls that was in Kitwe and we were now three and we began the rehearsals. I first picked the, I uh, uh, went to piano house 
and we began to get some numbers from Wishbone Ash. And uh, we, we got some numbers from there, which we began to race. While racing, because John Kanyepa was staying in the same house, he saw what we, what we were getting at, and then he decided to dump his band and come and join us. So we were four. And then he, we saw what he came back. So we were now five. And now we are looking for a name. So we came up with the, the Amanas, which means ask me about nice artists in Zambia. This is how Amanas started. Somehow permanently in Mufrida, we are commuting Kitwe Mufrida, Kitwe Mufrida, and from there we decided to leave Mufrida. We came to Ndola, and that's where now we settled. We, we were we, we were now in Ndola, and uh, we became a prominent band in Ndola. Though there were so many bands. Yeah, you see, in the 70s, music used to be competitive. We are so many, there were so many bands here, especially in Indola. There was five revolutions, Tinkos, Amanazi, and we, Blackfoot. Well, uh, there were so many bands. Everywhere we put a show, we were crowd pullers. The clubs, even the walls, they were fully packed. Yes. And we used to dress nicely. Smartly looked. Yeah. In a nick of a time, you are appearing differently. We had the uh, clothes which we are calling flower power. We used to put on some flowered shades and, uh, you know, bell bottomed jeans, real jeans, yeah, and sometimes you all, you just buy, you know, um, a canvas and make a jean out of that, you know, a trouser. And then uh, shoes, always there were boots. We used to call them beetle shoes and uh, some big belts. But uh, some thought came to my mind, you know, I, I thought I should do something different from what others are doing. And uh, because of the beer, the influence of the beer. Uh, we, we had a guy who was called Guys and Dolls in Kitwe. And uh, he was selling some of this, uh, you know, new fashion wear. <laughs> and he had these strange outfits which we decided we must have. So we began to put on those things like rags, you know, uh, you know, just to look, you know, weird, like. <laughs> yeah. How you would enjoy this show? You feel proud to be a musician at that time. Even as promoters, you feel you are, you are somewhere in another world out of this Zambia. So as I'm talking to you now, you know the, the feelings I almost, if at all, I could have had a guitar here to see how I was going to jump and demonstrate it to you how these young people used to jump. 
I was young also, and then they were also young. Ah, it was beautiful. How they felt when they go to a crowd, and then they are before a big crowd, and then they've got to introduce themselves so the, the crowd can get to know now, 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 something new about the history of the man he's got nothing to Something better, huh? His sense of between nothing better. Oh, it's the history of the man. out to lose Oh, one is lost is human It's the history of the man expected to find ourselves in a studio. Though uh, Mr. Kuzuayo was trying to to get us into uh, so he, can, he wanted to become our manager because he was already managing the Tinkus, the Five Revolutions and the Blackfoot. Three bands. But he liked our music. Each time we were playing uh, Nyat can bear witness. You were, they were always coming until that album, like I said, we did not expect to find ourselves in a studio. But Kuzuayo really wanted us to go into the studio. By then, the witch had already recorded many albums and the tinkles. 
and people liked it. They were buying records. And this is why Kuzuayo decided to woo many musicians because there was money in it. People were buying, there was business. And then he, uh, we saw Nyat, he came with a big man. We were discussing uh, uh, together with them about going into the studio. And uh, we liked it. But then most of us, we did it put our work on paper and uh, there was no way but to begin to think what are we going to record. Some friends had some, something in their, you know, at the back of their minds, they had some, some, some written music, but we never played those songs, we never played them. So we found ourselves within three days rehearsing, writing, and doing everything. That's why even maybe the recording wasn't as beautiful as it should have been. It was a hard job, you know. At the time, recording was becoming a craze of this country. Each band wanted to record something. And as Amanas, we thought maybe we were left out. So we, we had to move as fast as we could. And some of those songs, I think even now, I could polish them even better. Uh, because now I, I think and feel different. You know, the way they should have been done and recorded. Some of those pieces are quite beautiful, which I think we could have made a better arrangement of them. You know, it was not the music that we we wrote before uh, going into the studio, and neither did we play it as we were having uh, uh, gigs around the country. We never played those songs. We just find ourselves. Uh, ourselves in the studio and then came up with that that album and we could be pointing hey that song it should be repeated but because of the experience we didn't have the engineer who knew our music and the manager did not know anything so the controlling of voices the balancing everything was not there so, after listening to it, uh, we said uh, there's no way that we can change things. We just leave it the way it is. Well, all the processes were there, but um, you know, uh, the studios we had at that time were very basic. You can hear us on the radio when you're driving in your car. Hear us on the record in the jukebox when you're out. Hear us at your home and on television too. We record the best sound, you can hear it on the town. And ring up a studio. Ring up a studio. Ring up a studio. Ring up a studio. We, we would uh, record on tape and uh, sometimes when um, we wanted something out, um, the, the engineer would splice the tapes, you know, and then join them together, you know, take out a section that didn't sound well, you know, unlike now where you, you can, with the help of the computers, you can actually take out uh, anything that you didn't think, uh, you know, was good enough and you can begin again at a certain point. But in the main, uh, we had to do it 
one by one. And uh, we recorded, uh, um, well, we couldn't record so many instruments at one time because, uh, you know, the, the recorders were very basic and sometimes they could take uh, two tracks at a time or four tracks. Four tracks was a luxury. But, uh, you know, those were the challenges that we faced. Uh, we recorded at DB Studio. DB Studio was uh, one of the uh, pioneering studios. In fact, if not uh, the only one at that particular time, you know. And um, um, they had uh, these huge, huge uh, tape uh, recorders and uh, and so on. And um, you know, with um, uh, sound soundproofing, that uh, had to you know they had to use um, egg. Uh, what what were the the material you use to make egg trays, you know, uh, to soundproof the studios. It was uh, it was fantastic. But anyway, you know, it was good because it was discovery all the time and uh, discovery that you could you could make uh, nice music was beautiful. The only song which caught our attention, all of us, is Color, my friend. From the rehearsals, we knew this song is different from most of the songs. We realized we are going to, it was going to be the main feature in the album. But because we didn't realize how powerful it was. Um, Color, my friend, according to uh, Isaac, the one who wrote it. It's about uh, friends, a friend. Yeah, when you love, when you like somebody, you've been friends for too long, and then something comes up in life. You try to advise, but this friend doesn't want to give ear. You try all the tricks in the book to bring this guy back to yourself. He's still speaking the same thing. Well, all you do is maybe come up with a song like that one. Hello, mm. come on, my friend. my friend. Come back to me. This world is full of misery.
album that you see we we thought of going into a village because of certain uh, numbers which were on the album like Africa Kale and the others we thought it should be African and uh, we got uh, you know encouraged by the, the photographer is a an old is a white man he drove us straight to Chiwala uh, we wanted to match with some of the, the the songs which were on the album so we decided to go to to such houses yes and the, you know the environment which was there we wanted to look typical African on the cover so that whoever buys it, they will know, okay, this is an African album. And the music which is in here, is, it has been relished with the African you know, composition. Most of our people started to sing in the local languages and it sounded quite well, it sounded better. And it was, you know, it was Zambian. It, it sounded as though we owned it. So I, I think uh, eventually you'll notice that uh, people called it Zamrock and the name Zamrock stuck because it was beautiful. about that album yeah and we are looking forward for a better album but 
unfortunately, uh, something cracked up. We, we broke up. There is no way I can deny it was done. So we were planning big, but as it was, as it were, many bands were not lasting. They were not lasting. But we, we tried to be together for, for some time until after recording, that's when we parted company. But I remained with Jerry Watts. We, we brought in another veteran who once also played within Macbeth with Keith Mlev, Jerry and Watts, uh, Rick Banda, the young brother to the former president. Yeah, he was a veteran on the bass guitar. He was a very good musician. Yes, we formed Drive Unit. Drive Unit. of the Lord that changed the Zambian scenery on music. That one, I am proud of. <laughs> music is another fora, it's another way of speaking out to advise even the government, to educate the masses. Music is a powerful tool. Yes, even spiritually. That's why God loves music very much. But uh, to some people, they don't know that music can bring someone to life. Music is a powerful tool. It's another voice for the voiceless. Just like uh, unionists, they form unions because they want to defend certain group of people or workers, but music is universal. It speaks louder than anyone else. Yes. It was one of the things that I loved most, to be in a rock band. I loved to play my guitar. And uh, I enjoyed the company of my brothers, the five of them. Keith Watson on drums, Jerry Mausara on bass, John on the other guitar and I was playing the lead guitar. I loved playing the lead guitar. We were expressing ourselves, like I said before, earlier on, the, the kind of life that we went through. So, 
through those music, uh, uh, those songs that we recorded in that album, we are trying to remind the new generation, those who are not there, that they may listen to this kind of music. There are stories which will remind them of where we are coming from. Yeah, it hasn't been easy. That's what we've been. Yeah, that was our many, many, many thought about the the, uh, the songs that we uh, recorded in that album. Thank you for listening. This podcast series was created by Jason Conoy of Strawberry Rain Music and Callum McNaughton of Sharp Flat Records. Much respect and gratitude to our featured artists, creators and storytellers. Be sure to watch the Story of Zamrock documentary to put a face to the voices you heard here. <laughs> Manu, we're my